It's about getting to know people, getting to understand what they're made of, what they're dreaming of, and for those who have an opportunity to be decision makers, not over-intellectualize it. Make some trials, make some tests, and see how you actually can learn and benefit from the richness of diversity. Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Jesper Broden. He's the chief executive officer of Inca Group, the main owner and operator of IKEA Retail. He'll talk about the employment crisis you haven't heard enough about, the one impacting millions of refugees and displaced people around the world. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. Always working on a distance creates a new form of emptiness, a new form of loneliness, while we are looking for practical ways of working in the future. It's January, and at the World Economic Forum, that can mean just one thing, Davos. This massive meeting of world leaders, business people, and global organizations meets for the first time in January since 2020, since before COVID. This year's theme, cooperation in a fragmented world, as leaders need to navigate a continuing pandemic, as well as economic shifts and geopolitical disruptions. In other words, the theme of this year's Davos, and any Davos, is that it's possible to be part of the solution. And we'll learn today how Inca Group's Skills for Employment initiative will show us how. In a world with more than 100 million forcibly displaced people, the holding company for IKEA, one of the world's biggest retailers, has created a program that connects those who have fled war, violence, and terror with a better start to their new lives. The Skills for Employment initiative provides three to six months of training to help refugees and asylum seekers around the world find meaningful work either at IKEA or other companies. It has also developed a special toolkit to help other companies understand what steps they need to take to meet the needs of displaced people in the communities they serve and adapt their hiring, training, and other priorities. When refugees and displaced people resettle, they find they've traded chaos for the uncertainty of unemployment. They face rejection, language barriers, and mounds of red tape. Sometimes they don't have the skills needed to get hired in their new home. And in short, this group of workers, some of the most loyal ones hired, just can't find work. During UN Week last September, Jasper Broden, the Chief Executive Officer at Inca Group, talked to me about the 1,700 people in 24 countries the program has already helped. He also explained how programs like this one play an important role in everything from tackling labor shortages and strengthening economies to helping leaders re-examine their recruiting approaches, helping them be more inclusive, less slow, and maybe even less biased towards certain types of profiles. And though remote work has been grabbing the headlines, most work is still in person. And people in programs like this one can help leaders consider new ways of developing teams in a physical space. It's one of the many ways that we can cooperate in a fragmented world and a fitting conversation to have ahead of Davos. Jesper Broden will talk about all of this, but first he'll ground us on the Skills for Employment initiative, what it is and why it's so important. Not many people know that IKEA is today owned by a foundation, so we are foundation-based, um, and the IKEA Foundation is deeply engaged in people and planet topics. More and more, we have seen over the years how these two topics are totally intertangled. Um, 
IKEA Foundation was engaged in the consequences of the war in, in Syria. Immediate refuge, uh, tents, survival was basically part of what we did together with UNHCR and other organizations. But in the aftermath, we then uh, were invited to discuss how do we contribute in the next phase of a humanitarian catastrophe. There and then, we, we saw the need of providing jobs for people as one of the next steps for dignity, for self-confidence and for actually bringing people out of an acute situation into a dignified life. So we were engaged then from a business perspective also to see how do we actually show up and support. We uh, set up a project, we recruited about 300 uh, women to this. It sounds easy, it wasn't, but with the help of uh, Jordan River Foundation and uh, the authorities in, in, in Jordan, we were capable to, to develop what later became a concept. So we brought this concept back to Europe and said, how do we reflect society in every community we are? And of course, in Europe today, more or less uh, every nation, every market, every city has a refugee situation, an immigrant situation. And we asked ourselves then, how can we bring this in to be relevant for, um, for that community and make sure that we contribute to the opposite of polarization in society? So skills for employment was developed. We set the target for 2,400 people to be engaged in Europe. Um, at this date, 1,700 people have actually started to work uh, for IKEA. And we are continuing now to use whatever we learned both for ourselves in the light of the Ukraine crisis, but also bringing along 500 other companies as an ambition to see if we can spread what we learned, the practical steps, the insights uh, to make it a, a bit of a bigger movement. So those 1,700 folks who have been placed, what are they doing in the stores and what sort of training have they received? These 1,700 people, they are basically part of the store operations mostly. So one of the obvious barriers uh, is of course language. And language is not a barrier that you can, can so to say, leave at the side. You have to provide training, of course. Then you can say that the basic skills of the work is the second step of, uh, of the training. The training goes uh, both ways. So it's also about how is the receiving unit uh, supporting people who might be the most intelligent, motivated people uh, um, on this planet. But how do you get readiness into your community to actually help them get started in a good way? So these are some of the modules that we are applying. And as you have scaled this program, how has it been modified to adapt to other companies' needs and the needs of other refugee communities? There are a couple of practical things, and it goes almost for everybody. But there are two insights I learned on the way. The level of motivation for people who have basically left their roots, left uh, their comfort, their families, their history behind. People are desperate to find and place their new roots in a new society. And not having a job, not being part of society is, I think, one of the most dangerous things for people's uh, confidence and then isolation in a way. So again, the understanding of the motivational aspects and that motivation can help you overcome so much. Secondly, I would say what we learned was that in our ways of recruiting in the past, Without being conscious about it, we would exclude people based on, on the lack of maybe some language skills or uh, some missing parts of the CVs. Uh, so we were not very welcoming to um, broaden our view and gaze on, on actually uh, people with that background. Only to find, again, which I'm happy to share with any company to say, these 1700, it's difficult to find more motivated people, more fast learning people. So I would say, 
it adds value, of course, to us in a time where it's not always easy to recruit people. But it also adds, I think, a human uh, dignifying quality to our task force and to our workforce in, entirely. There's a toolkit that the initiative has put into place. Can you give folks an idea of how that walks and talks? Yeah, so the toolkit is very uh, practical. It's a seven-step program. It's about readiness. It's about setting up the trainings. It is about follow-up as well. I think the last step is important also. How do we change the narrative? Um, in the obvious practicalities of what you do, you need to, as an organization, also mind the bias, the fears that sits in your existing organization and make sure that you not only bring along people from this background, but also focus on the people that are existing in your community. If there is fears, if there are confusion, if there is maybe curiosity, how do you engage them also into the process so we together actually can change the narrative. For years, the whole topic of, of refugees have almost been uh, demonizing of people. So by allowing people to get to know each other, to listen to people's stories and their work together is normally the practical ways uh, how we overcome those hinders. And that is all part of the of concept that we, we have documented and uh, share openly with anybody who's interested to try. And as this toolkit was developed, is there anything that was surprising to you or illuminating or even deepened your understanding of this challenge? I would say when you look at it, it's like so often when you look at it, it's, it's very practical. It's very obvious in a way. When I take a bit of a heli helicopter view on it, we came from a perspective of humanitarian uh, support. And I want to reflect being IKEA, being for the many people in society, we want to reflect people as society looks like. And so maybe we came into it a bit thinking that we were doing people a favor, only to learn that, again, we are the big winners, to be honest. Again, um, these are times when it's not always easy to recruit. And to get this new base of talent uh, as an asset uh, proves to, to me and to us, you know, it's both the right thing to do, but it's also the right thing to do from a business perspective. What an opportunity to have more talented people uh, to choose from. There have been some shifts in the labor market recently, and um, in some sectors there was a labor shortage. But on the other hand, there were also millions of people around the world who aren't employed, and that has gotten far less visibility. As we talk about matching refugees with opportunities, what do you think is needed to give this challenge the same attention that has come to the Great Resignation? These are days, I think, where we need to be really humble and listen carefully to people's needs. Um, we are still, hopefully, in the later phase of a pandemic that we haven't experienced in a, in a hundred years. So there are reactions and uh, contra-reactions. We see that on the labor market. We see young people who used to maybe be attracted to move into cities, who is now freelancing and living on the countryside. Maybe one of the movements is then, in particular among the young, wanting to define their own work style and being maybe a little bit less career oriented in that to make their choices. I would say the thing that stands out for us in IKEA and for myself also is that people seem to be more interested in looking for a company or a context which provides purpose. We, we see that in all generations, but people are looking for something that is more than just a meal ticket. And this is, of course, something that puts demands on all of us as employers to how do we actually provide that in the broader context, like IKEA being a foundation-based, so you can say by nature you're part of something greater. But how do you also invite people in their work lives to actually be part of something that they find meaning from? Um, that is incredibly important.
And then third, think we're still in search of what is the new work style. The discussions about working at home or working in the office, for instance, concerns a small amount of people in our community since most people are into the uh, daily operations where you need to be together. But we also see among the thousands of people in IKEA how distancing yourself and always working on a distance creates a new form of emptiness, a new form of loneliness. While we are looking for practical ways of working in the future, of course, we also think physical teamwork is an incredibly important ingredient of finding uh, stimulants and happiness in your work life. What do you think it will take for leaders to understand the extent of the employment problem facing displaced people? I think it's important for everybody to to start by accepting society as it looks like. As corporations, we have little to do to influence the uh, start of, of diversity in our societies. But again, being part of society, you need to make sure you don't disconnect yourself, but actually welcome and embrace the sheer statistics of the world you live in. And it's interesting to say in IKEA today, we are very far in gender diversity. We are where we should be at 50-50 on all levels. We are at equal pay. But 20 years ago, we were not, which tells me also there is bias within society. There's bias within every company. Probably we need to admit there is bias within each and one of us. So I think by being humble and accepting that, we will open our gaze a little bit to to find uh, new opportunities. What would the employment initiative need to scale? I think we need a debate in in society in general. I think we we will try to contribute from an IKEA perspective with that through the skills of employment. The last part of the seven points is about changing the narrative. It's a human trait and it's a human behavior which is known by organizations like UNHCR that people who come from a culture or a nation or a place close to yourself, you have easier to open your doors and your hearts and your arms for. People who come from um, far away, There is more questions, there's more fears, there are more barriers. Um, This goes as much as Swedes and Norwegians or Ukrainians moving into Europe. Um, But we need to challenge that because we need to make sure that we have basically reflect humanistic values on any human being who is in a need. And I think that that requires dialogue, that requires conversation, get to know people. We need to to make sure that we uh, oppose all forces that are segregating people in society. And this is, of course, a very difficult task. But then again, I think companies have a much bigger role to play by allowing that diversity on all levels in the companies and seeing that as an asset. You talked about the need for people to make changes on the community level. People listening to this, uh, what's something that they can do today to engage with the people that maybe they haven't talked to enough, especially people in their own communities? What should they do? Uh, walk out on the street, maybe uh, bring in your mind a question or something you would like to talk to, and look at the strangers around you, and then walk up and talk to somebody who looks the least like you <laughs> and see what happens. Uh, it's something that I actually recently experienced uh, and uh, with lots of interesting uh, reactions, by the way. But I think it's it's about getting to know people, uh, getting to understand what they're made of, what they're dreaming of. Um, and again, maybe also, I think in particular for those on the call who have an opportunity to be decision makers, not over-intellectualize it. Make some trials, make some tests and see how you actually can learn and benefit from Uh, the richness of diversity. We're looking ahead at some volatility, both on the economic and the geopolitical spectrum, and all of that could worsen the refugee crisis. What impact do you think that could have on unemployment or job loss or even hope? Well, these days, the bandwidth of scenarios have never been broader, from the uh, optimistic, positive ones to the uh, more challenging ones. 
I think probably the most challenging scenario of them all is climate change and the impact climate change will have on the refugee situation. Uh, of course, geopolitical issues uh, is, is here and now a reality with the war ongoing in, in Ukraine and in so many more places. But I think climate change might be the, the biggest trigger of uh, challenges in the future. If the challenges becomes too big, you know, for society to handle, you will have polarization, you will have extremism, and uh, things might happen, of course. But I think to that point, I think we need to both things in society build for a bit of resilience, engage ourselves so we can address the root causes rather than always being one step behind. But again, the only way forward is that humans, we need to be showing humanistic values and make sure that we can create a win-win. And again, I'm a deep believer after being close to this topic, where I thought this was charity. It turned out it was for the benefit for the company. So be a bit uh, curious about how actually you can benefit from the situation rather than the opposite. Those looking to contribute to these big picture issues, is there a benefit in considering how you'll need to work differently? Maybe focusing more on the purpose that you wanna move forward and being a little bit more flexible on things like timelines that leaders might be more comfortable with? It's different in different cultures and how you work and how you operate. Some people are very stringent about their strategies and plans. And probably, I would guess, uh, the best way would be to integrate your plans into the plan. So it's not uh, something that is adverse for how you actually uh, like to work. But I would imagine that any company out there, uh, small as big, uh, works with recruitment as a strategy. All recent data points in that we are too slow. I can start by pointing at IKEA, but I know a lot of companies out there too rigorous, too slow in their uh, recruitment process and too limiting to a certain stereotype of uh, profiles. And what happens, of course, from a diversity perspective is that you keep repeating duplicating the same talent you already have. If you're curious to expand your intelligence in your community, you also need to change your recruitment process. And if you don't know how, at least there to take some risks. Stop asking some questions, stop looking for some CVs, or do what excellent companies like Greystone with the famous Joe Kenner is doing, basically recruiting anybody on the list who wants a job without any asked uh, questions. That would be the most, I think, daring way of approaching it in a different way. Interesting thing is it works so much better than you could ever imagine. So be a bit more open, try to recruit in a different way, I would say, and see, uh, test and try instead of over-intellectualizing it. Say we fix this issue and we're able to, even on the refugee end, give folks meaningful employment and a new start in new communities. What does that world look like? What is that before and after? So now that we are, we're heading towards a beautiful world, we had some uh, great minds the other day describe it from an energy perspective. You know, you can be maybe challenged in the short term, but if you look at the long term, we're heading towards a world powered by renewable energy, which will be maybe not free, but almost. And we're headed to a world where people are in a win-win position, where people basically have an opportunity to feel, fulfill their dreams, to make a journey together. The opposite would be winners and losers. And in the end of the day, in a world that is so integrated, there will be only lose if it's win-lose. So to continue to believe in that, um, yeah, we, we are here actually to win together, that I think would be a guiding star. You said that leaders have to show their humanitarian values. How do you do that? What is a way that you put that into practice in a block and tackle way, maybe in a meeting or just with people that you talk to and see? 
IKEA as uh, a company and so on is deeply rooted into humanistic values. Interesting enough, the key document for us is called the Testament uh, of a Home Furnishing Dealer. It was written in 1979, I think, uh, by, by a founder. And it's an interesting, a lovely document. Uh, it's, it, it's available in, in, in public. Uh, it has a strong vision to create a better everyday life for the many people. And then it has nothing. There's no strategy, no plan, no structure. And then it goes straight into values. Values like togetherness, how you give responsibility to people and many more uh, values. We thought, I think, and he probably thought that they were Swedish values or rooted in the community where he came from, only to find that every market, every country, every culture that we have approached, there is a, a similar like-minded group of people who sympathize with those values. And even more so, I would say, a modern approach to how people would like society to work. Mm -hmm. So I think exercising values has to be done in reality. But it's also interesting enough, which I'm not sure everybody knows, it's the best tool to, to have speed in your decision-making. Because in a structure where you're reliant on the top to be the smartest, or even so in times of crisis like Corona or whatnot, if the culture is to get afraid of taking decisions when times are tough, you will of course lose out. But if you build a culture where people know the compass of your ethics and values, you also breed a culture of decision making that will make you capable to take many right decisions at the same time. So I think it's an underestimated value actually. Is there a book that you recommend? Yes. <laughs> the Testament of a Home for Dealer. <laughs> no, right now, I must admit I have a favorite book. And now I'm very biased. We have recently actually uh, printed an internal IKEA book, but it's uh, spread to 177,000 people. It's translated in I don't know how many languages. And it's actually a book where we are, I think, one of the first big companies to invite everybody in our community to be a climate ambassador. So it's a full disclosure of our footprint, of our plan. It's basically a complete register of what we have done, what we're doing, what we will do, including also the things where we stuck or where we struggle. So this has been the last two weeks uh, rolled out among all of IKEA. And as such, it's my favorite book at this moment. And if anybody would be curious to, to read it, I'm sure we can sneak out a copy or two out of our system. So, If you had one message for leaders gathering right now, what would that be? Action, action, action. We, we are, I think, beyond... Um, it's almost like if you're in a, in a boat that's sinking or leaking, at least you can say there will always be one or two who claims that the boat is not leaking. So at the moment, I, I think we can disregard the conversation with, with this group of people. Um, you will have some people who will be spending all their time and energy on what went wrong and who to blame. And I also think in the, that moment and that place, there is also no space for that conversation. <laughs> uh, so there's only two groups of people to engage with. The ones who try to fix the problem, find it and fix it, and the other group who, who pumps uh, <laughs> with all their spirits to get water out of the boat. So I think right now it's about finding solutions, both for mitigation and adaptation. We will pay the price of our naivety as humanity over the last decades, maybe centuries, of uh, an economic model where we believed in that we had a smaller impact than we in fact had. We believed that resources were endless and so forth. We're waking up to a new reality and we are in a hurry to, to shift into a totally different different economic model and maybe a bit of a new 
you know, vision around what the world should be all about. So we need to be fast to, to share, develop solutions in order to make sure we build for that economy. And at the same time, the coming decades, we will experience events that are related to the carbon we already have in the air. Um, so we also need to ready ourselves, steal ourselves and make sure there is a just transition where, where everyone is on board. It's a, it's a big task. <laughs> that was Jesper Broden. Thanks so much to Jesper and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcast is available at wef.ch slash podcasts. Our digital content team will be on the ground in Davos and the podcast team will be recording once again from our beautiful booth in the Congress Center. Listen for Meet the Leaders featuring top names from the summit and don't miss my colleague Robin Pomeroy's daily Radio Davos episodes breaking down the can't miss highlights from every big session and every big name. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me, with Jerry Johansson as editor and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day. <laughs>